Well, hello from Maui, Hawaii. Aloha. Thanks for being with us. My name is Michael Benner, and this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This program is heard live at 1 o'clock West Coast time, that's Pacific time in the United States, 4 p.m. Eastern time in the United States, and that's 20 hours GMT during daylight saving time and 21 hours GMT during standard time. Not only the United States, but much of the world um, uses daylight saving time and uh, is about to go back to standard time at least in the northern hemisphere. Um, So let me just take a minute to mention that nothing really is going to change for you. In Hawaii and most of Arizona, daylight saving time is not observed. So because we're in Hawaii, uh, that means that I can keep the program at the same time all year round for most of you, by moving when I do it. So for me, I get, after next week, uh, an extra hour of sleep, I guess. I'll go on at uh, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning Hawaiian time so that it'll still be 1 o'clock in Pacific time, U.S., and 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And then... Next summer, when we go back on daylight time, uh, I'm the one that will begin an hour early. So your time doesn't change, okay? I'll adjust on this end, and whether it's daylight saving time or standard time, it will always be the same for you. 1 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Mountain, 3 o'clock Central, 4 o'clock Eastern, and if... UTC or GMT means anything to you in the summer during daylight saving time. It'll be 20 hours GMT in the winter during standard time, 21 hours GMT. Already more information than you need. Um, So as long as you remember to set your clocks back tomorrow, um, I'm sorry, Saturday, next Saturday, um, as you go to bed, set them back one hour. Remember, fall back then you'll be perfectly synced up to hear us at the same time All right, uh, next Sunday. So uh, six days from today is when most of the United States goes to standard time from daylight saving. All right, with that little bit of business uh, handled, let's go to our um, topic for today. For the day today, and I'll remind you that a little bit later in the program, we'll go to your questions and your comments. Um, Since we began this uh, class almost two years ago, about a year and a half, year and, I don't know, year and eight months, something like that, uh, since we started, we've always had the ability for you to present us with text messages. Uh, during the event, you'll notice on the web page in front of you, down at the bottom, a couple of fields where you can submit a question or a comment. Uh, appreciate it if you type in at least your first name, if not your full name, and the city where you are today. And uh, 
hit the submit button, and a little later I'll go to those questions and comments. In in the last couple of months, we've added the ability of callers to do the same thing. I now have the ability to unmute callers one at a time. And uh, we've had a couple of people call, but... Um, I don't know. Folks are sort of bashful as if you think you're going to be on the radio with thousands of people listening. Uh, let me tell you, the average class here is 25 to 30 people live, and we do have a lot more than that, anywhere from 100 to 200 and sometimes more, will listen to the replay of this program, um, either streaming from my website or by podcast. So the vast majority of listeners are not here in real time, but listening on demand. But I still think it's really fun to have the real-time option for folks that like to plug into the group mind and who really feel right now like you're participating with a large group of people. It's just not that large. Like I say, 25 to 35 people there's always some folks coming in, always a few folks have to leave, uh, so the door is a revolving door, um, but you have the choice of coming in on the web or the telephone and listening that way. And now you can also participate on the live program, either with text on the web or by uh, pressing star 2 on the telephone touchpad to raise your hand. Uh, I had a friend the other day tell me that this webinar falls uh, right in the middle of his Sunday bicycle ride, and so he just takes a cell phone and listens live on the cell phone, puts it on the speaker, and uh, it's good to go. So whatever works for you. You can do your grocery shopping or drive your car or whatever while you're listening to this program live and I think it's fun it reminds me of radio but also I really believe in the collective that there really is a group mind here at work and that I'm glad the replay is available sometimes even I will listen to the replay but um, uh, you sort of miss that feeling of everybody being together on the live webinar so there you go um, having said that and talked about the return to standard time next week, uh, let's jump into it. The business side, I mentioned last week a book that was written in 1985. Uh, I think Michael Gerber was the author of that book called The E-Myth or The Entrepreneur Myth. And it was a rather groundbreaking book at the time because what he was saying is just because you're good at what you do doesn't mean that you're going to be successful in business. In fact, the reason that 95% of small businesses fail within the first five years is that just because you're good at what you do doesn't mean you know business. Right? doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur. So, you could be, let's see, what did I put in the newsletter? The example was you could be uh, uh, the best, you could make the best pizza 
anybody ever tasted and fail miserably in the pizza business. Or you could be the best auto mechanic in the county and always end up working for somebody else because you just don't have the information that you need to be an entrepreneur or a business person, businessman or a businesswoman. So because of my 35 years of practice in the personal development, human potential, self-improvement field, um, I learned a lot the hard way and last week started to share some of that information with you and only got about halfway through the bullet points and so I thought, well, let's do it again. This week we'll make it two parts. So today is the second of two parts on the business side of self-improvement or personal development. Where we began, and I want to do just the briefest of overviews of last week's program, the first part, is by reminding you that because of the nature of this field, we're not making pizzas and we're not auto mechanics. Um, I'm glad somebody's doing that stuff. But there's something special about the personal development field in that whatever part uh, of that field that we address, again, yoga, psychotherapy, life coaching, uh, social worker, chiropractor, hypnotherapist, uh, Reiki practitioner, whatever, um, you have something that I think we would all agree everybody needs, and few people ever find. One of the curious things about this whole body of information, all these various disciplines and, and vocations, or for many of us, avocations or hobbies, is that we really feel that everybody needs to better know themselves, that we have schools, K through 12, public schools, private schools, all kinds of grade school, middle school, and high school programs, you know, so that everybody gets a basic education. And then there's trade schools and community colleges and larger colleges and universities and postgraduate studies and such to continue to educate people about everything but themselves, about everything in the world but who am I? And why do I behave this way? And why do I think this way? And why do I feel this way? And what do I do about it? And you say, where do I go to school for that? Where do I go to school to study the nature of myself? And there really is no one institution that addresses that, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of practitioners in the world offering various approaches to self-improvement or personal development. And so something we all have in common, I think, is that we all in this field, one way or another, realize that everybody needs what we've got. Few people are getting it. And their misery, their fear, their pain, their suffering 
is directly proportional to how little they know themselves. Uh, Even our need to please other people and our fears of what will happen if we don't impress or please other people are rooted in a failure to understand yourself. For as you know your uniqueness, as you come to understand your authentic and genuine nature, it matters less and less and less what other people think or what you think other people might think (laughs) about who you are uh, and what you're capable of doing. It just becomes irrelevant what other people think because you know. You see, wouldn't that be nice? Well, you and I and most of the people listening to this program today, live or by replay on demand after the fact, we share this. We've got something everybody needs but few people ever find. Now, that's kind of a an, a, a hook that you can develop in your particular field to what we described last week as your slogan or your elevator speech. And everybody should be able to explain what they do in 20 to 30 seconds. If you have 60 seconds, boy, that's great. That's a whole commercial, 60 seconds, right? That could cost you a half a million dollars during the Super Bowl, 60 seconds. That's a lot of time. But if you could even say it in less time, in two or three sentences, maybe two sentences, maybe you could say what you do in one sentence, okay? And you practiced it and you rehearsed your elevator speech, so-called, then you'd never stutter and stammer when somebody says, well, what do you do? Right, And the best way to get somebody to ask you, what do you do, is to initiate the question to them. You start, you say, hey, what what do you do? I mean, you might want to break the conversation by talking about the weather, or that's, uh, I see you got the newspaper there. Did you read that story about such and such? Or... Uh, that's a pretty handy little umbrella you got there. Where'd you get that? I'd like one just like that, right? Um, <clears throat> just as a little icebreaker. So what do you do? What brings you to this building, right? We're riding up in the elevator or standing at the bus stop uh, or whatever. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do for a living, right? And uh, you let them talk. This is the smartest way there is to create relationships in business is to use questions because it's so much easier to listen than to do all the talking. What frightens so many people in business is that they have to stand up and talk or they have to pass out their business cards to people who may not want them. I said this last week, and again, I'll just do a little overview here. Don't give away your business card unless somebody asks for it. Um, Buy expensive business cards. Get the best cards you you can get because you should have them. But you're not going to pass that many out. What you want to do if you're really smart is collect other people's business cards. And you don't uh, proactively uh, 
uh, initiate giving somebody your card. Even if you're at a Chamber of Commerce event or a business alliance mixer of some sort, you don't go around giving your cards, pushing your cards on other people, and then having to remember, oh, gee, who did I give my card to? Who have I failed to give my business card to? Right? Ask for theirs. Just like you ask, what do you do for a living, as an entree to them in a few minutes, turning it around, having already answered you, and then saying, so what do you do? Aha! (laughs) You're perfectly set up, right? Uh, You can make it even more relevant to them. You can tailor and customize your answer to fit. Well, turns out what I do fits very nicely with what you do, right? You have the advantage in that uh, regard. And so in the same way that you initiate people saying, you know, wanting to know what you do by asking them first, what do you do? Don't push your business cards on people. Collect their business card. Take it home. Either scan it into your database or type it into your database whatever it is that you do, and then send them a card. Send them a handwritten greeting card that says it was really, or a postcard, right? Um, Something sort of nice, something pro that says it was really nice to meet you on the elevator the other day. All right. I taught this to a friend of mine here in Maui just a couple of weeks ago, and she told me that she had met someone on the street walking from her condo to the local mini-mart grocery store on the corner, and coincidentally, because of the nature of people's routines, she banged into the same person on two or three different occasions uh, on the street, headed for the market, right? And so each time they encountered each other, they smiled and and exchanged a little bit of conversation. And so my friend learned the name of this other person and <clears throat> figured out her mailing address and sent her a card. Said, I'm the person you met on the street. It's been very nice to meet you. I look forward to seeing you again. Cost a couple of bucks, took a couple of minutes, and um, the person went crazy. They just thought, oh, what a... What a kind and thoughtful thing, and uh, and it ended up getting work for, they never even talked to business, but it ended up creating work for the person that initiated that friendship by sending a, uh, a greeting card. So, while somebody asks you for a business card, keep them in your pocket and collect their cards so that you can initiate something much more thoughtful than a business card, an actual greeting card, something really nice. I use a website for this called Send Out Cards. It's a membership deal, and you have to sort of join the company, but uh, cards are pennies, and it's a very smart system. If you ever want to know more about that, contact me and uh, just send me an email, and I'll be happy to tell you more about the whole, how that works. Um, customer, uh, I call it customer relations wisdom, 
relationship management, very, very smart side of uh, business. And we talked about um, your stationery and envelopes, which you don't have to have printed anymore because we've all got laser printers now, about uh, logos and flyers and cover letters. We talked about yellow page ads and other display ads and uh, 800 numbers. We talked about, mm, let's see, doing trade fairs and festivals and street fairs and expos. We talked about joining uh, the Chamber of Commerce, for example, or the Business Alliance, Women in Business, those kinds of professional organizations, or trade organizations. You know, uh, to be the member, if you're a hypnotherapist, you join the Guild of Hypnotist Examiners, for example, or if you're a, a practitioner of uh, some other human potential or personal development um, um, field, practice, endeavor, join those trade organizations, go to their conventions, uh, write articles and abstracts for their trade publications. Uh, also get involved in volunteering in your local community. If you're in a big city, focus on one particular area. I mentioned last week that while I, until two years ago, had lived 35 years in Los Angeles, all, almost all of my Chamber of Commerce work and my volunteering for organizations like the American Red Cross and the family um, YMCA was done in a community called Glendale, California, which is very close to downtown L.A., but it's a independent city. It's not L.A. It's a it's a town of about 200,000 people with its own school system, its own police force, its own fire department, right? And so the chamber was more intimate, and everybody it was easier for everybody to know everybody. And... I found that that was not the case at the L.A. Chamber, which was just too big and too impersonal. So if you're in New York or Philly or Chicago, you might want to consider the same thing. Go to one of the smaller chambers in the outlying area and be a big fish in the small pond rather than a minnow in the big lake or, or, or ocean. Yeah, This way you get to know city officials. In other words, when you join the Chamber of Commerce or the Business Alliance in your community, it's not enough just to go to the mixers once a month and nibble on the finger food and make small talk. If you really want that to pay, get involved. Uh, join a committee, a volunteer for a subcommittee or a task force uh, in an area that um, you like. For example, as a hypnotherapist and doing a lot of stress management work, guess which committee I volunteered for? Disaster preparedness. And within two years, I was the chairman of the disaster preparedness committee. And that led to me working with the American Red Cross. And that later became a venue for my classes. Um, which added to the credibility of the class. It was held at the American Red Cross. And 
so on and so forth. And you get to know every city official, um, the mayor and the council people and the supervisors, and that leads to knowing the county officials. You know all the cops, you know all the firemen. Um, I'm amazed at how few people in business have the savvy to get involved on this level. And I'm forever grateful to the people in my life, starting with my wife and several of her friends, who encouraged me to do that. Okay, Because nobody, in, I never learned in school the importance of, as a business person, getting involved in the community. We talked about uh, advertising a lot last week, and particularly the idea that the best advertising is absolutely free, and that's writing news releases, which some people call press releases. And I'll mention again, you can send a press release to print media because they have presses, but don't insult radio and TV people by sending them a press release. They don't have presses and they think they're far superior to the print media anyway. Broadcast media should get news releases, right? And the print people don't really care if the press release you send them is called a news release, so I would just eliminate press release altogether, just wipe it out of your mind, uh, and just call all of those news releases. And if you're not sure how to do one, well, damn it, buy a book on writing a news release. Or go to the Microsoft website and download a, a Word template for, they might still call it press release, or, or you can change it to news release. And you just sort of fill in the blanks, and there you've got a perfect, pro, nice-looking news release that you wrote yourself. You don't have to hire some PR person. And they charge a lot of money and are no more effective than you can be. And you'll understand how to send those news releases out, how to get the addresses and the names of the people to send them to, make sure their names are spelled correctly, send hard copy news releases. If you want to send an email as well, that's good. But don't limit yourself only to emailed news releases. Send a hard copy, and if you wish to also send a news, uh, an email news release, you can do that too. But send something pro on nice stationery, 24-pound resume paper, good look, matching envelope, you know, nice-looking letterhead, include a business card. Come on, gang, pro up. Send those things out. And then follow up with a phone call. Hi, this is Michael Benner from Personal Development Strategies. I'm just calling to make sure you got that news release I sent you about this grand opening we're having down on Main and Broadway. Right? And your grand opening might be you decided to paint the inside of your office and get some new furniture, right? <laughs> That's good enough to have an open house and to announce it through a news release. And, or get together with others in the field. That's another point that I thought we made last week that bears repeating is do not underscore, highlight, boldface, do not see other women and men in your field, in your community, as competition, but rather 
collaborate with them. If you have a yoga studio and there's three other yoga studios in your town, work together. Okay? You're not in competition with them. Remember at the top we said last week and again today, you have something that everybody needs and few people ever get. There is no shortage of people that need yoga or psychotherapy or stress management work or whatever it is that you do. So work together to raise the overall awareness of the community need that you and others around you um, are providing. Do not think of them as competition. That, that limits your prosperity. It's just um, a part of a poverty mentality. All right. Uh, we talked about getting on talk shows, radio talk shows, morning news programs on TV. We talked about the importance of a good biography. You should have two, a long one that's up to one page in length, and a shorter one that is just a paragraph. Um, you'll need both, have them both available. We talked about articles, submitting articles that you've written. Um, we talked about adding a product to your service. Adding, I'll say that again. This is very. This is where we left off, actually. Adding products to your service. We talked about how medical doctors began to realize that years ago their patients felt underserved or even ripped off if they left the doctor's office without pills or a shot. So doctors started prescribing pills and injections even when they weren't needed because they're charging you $150 for the office visit. You don't want to pay that kind of money and walk out with nothing but a reassurance that you're going to be fine. You want some drugs, right? You you want something for your money. So other uh, others in the health field, mental and physical health field, realized this. So you started seeing doctors selling vitamins and weight loss potions, right? And acupuncture people doing the same thing, selling supplements. Um, I added products to my practice that were relevant. Um, so much of hypnotherapy and Hypnosis in general is really about managing fear and stress. And so I would provide often difficult to find elsewhere products for stress management, little biofeedback devices of various kinds, brain entrainment devices, um, relax the back devices that um, people could purchase from me. I could get a nice little markup. I'm helping them find something that otherwise might be pretty hard to locate in the marketplace, and so everybody wins. That's a very, very good tip is see if you can add some sort of relevant product or products to the services that you offer. Hold on a sec here. i got half a smoothie I want to finish. 
Uh, and so picking up where we left off, we were talking last week at the end about sharing office space. And this is a valuable tip, I think, because there are a lot of people who, like you, may be very skilled in a particular area. I've mentioned several of them in this larger field of personal development or personal empowerment. And uh, yet you may only have two or three clients a week. Um, How are you going to afford an office? And so how do you jumpstart a practice? Well, some people will bring clients or customers into their home. You might want to think twice about that very carefully. Um, It requires that you do a pretty rigorous job of screening your clients or getting them by referral if you're going to invite them to come by. Think very carefully about doing that. Others make, uh, make house calls, in which case you're traveling around to their location. Um, that has its advantages. You're, you're, you don't have to bring them to your place and you don't have any office rent. But of course, uh, in a large city, New York, Chicago, LA, Philly, Boston, it, it's a hassle to drive all over the place. And you often don't know the neighborhood, uh, or you end up in some creepy neighborhood that otherwise you never would have gone into. So it has its upside, but it has its downside as well. Uh, What I recommend and what I think works really well for most people who are just starting out and may only have a couple of clients a week is to ask a fellow practitioner in the same field or a related field if they have office space available to sublet to you. For example, a chiropractor will often have an office where he does intake and consulting, or she may have, and then three or four exam rooms. And throughout the day, they might be in their little consulting intake office uh, for an hour in the morning and one hour before they go home at night. And for the whole rest of the day, that room's in septi while they go from one exam room to another examination room and bounce all over their facility, but they never really go back to that little office. Well, maybe they'll lease that to you for 10 or $15 an hour, right? Um, there are such things as executive suites. Whole buildings, office buildings, or several floors of a large office building that are owned or leased by some executive suite company, and and they'll run them out to you. But it could be for two or three hundred dollars a day, you know, or a hundred dollars for a half a day, and it it can be very expensive. Uh, even more than that, you say a hundred dollars for a half day—that's a lot of money. See. I may only I may only make a hundred dollars for a client for a whole client, you know, sitting with them for an hour. <clears throat> so that can be very cost prohibitive. Also, executive suites um, they're very generic. 
you can't bring in your own pictures. You can't bring in plants. Uh, the the art on the wall looks like it all came from Kmart because it probably did. Uh, they're sort of cold and sterile, and a lot of different people use them and leave their funky energy behind, and you just feel like you want to sage the place every time you go there. Well, so share an office with a fellow practitioner, someone who does the same kind of work that you do, cooperating with them, as I mentioned before. If you're a yoga teacher, find another yoga teacher and share an office with them or get three or four yoga teachers together or get a yoga teacher together with a chiropractor, with a masseuse, with a Reiki person, with a hypnotherapist and all five of you come together and run an office, you see. And then somebody gets it Monday, somebody gets it Tuesday, somebody gets it Wednesday and so on or break it down into various day parts depending upon the need. Some may need it more than others. You understand what I'm saying? That's a very, very smart way to actually get into an office in a medical building. Your credibility skyrockets when you get in a really nice office setting, even if you're only using it five or six hours a week. Right? Your name's on the door. All right, um, and then continuing on to some of the other bullet points that we did not touch on last week, some of this stuff may sound rather obvious, but that's what we tend to overlook, the most obvious stuff. Um, I'm quite surprised at the number of practitioners that I've dealt with that have never thought to ask for referrals. They sometimes think that there's something, gee, I don't know, um, unprofessional about it. Uh, Look, if this patient or client or customer that you're serving, uh, that, that is paying you money for a service that you're providing, if they're writing you checks and they're happy, They believe in you. They're on your side. It's quite likely they will from time to time, from time, (laughs) I'll get it out, from time to time, initiate a referral. But why depend on that? If they don't, ask them, not necessarily at the end of every session, but certainly if they're about to conclude their work with you, Take a few minutes to say, you know, my practice is built largely on referrals. I don't advertise much. And I really prefer to have my new customers, clients, patients recommended to me. You see how you reframe that and set that up? So I really rely on referrals from satisfied customers from people like you that are happy with what I've done for you and might know others who would benefit. So do you know anybody now? Is there anybody you can think of right now? So I would say go beyond just dropping the hint. Hand them a piece of paper and a pen 
and say, would you put their name and telephone number down, their email address, let me know, right? Or would you call them for me and ask them to give me a call? But, see, then you're giving away more of your power. Now you've got to sit and hope that they remember to mention you and that the other person follows through. I've had many referrals from um, patients, clients, customers over the years who said, I told so-and-so they were complaining and wanted to know what I did, and I told them to contact you so they'll be calling you. More often than not, they don't call. Maybe only 20 or 30% of the time will I hear from them. More often than not, they will not call even though they're whining and complaining because, well, frankly, lots of people love their pain. They love their misery, and at least it's familiar. It's like, I don't want my life to work so well that I have nothing to complain about. So without getting into the deeper psychology of hidden agenda and secondary gain, let me just say that you want to be a little more proactive and say, well, who is that person you're thinking of right now? Give me their name or here, write it down. Do you know their email address? Do you know their phone number? And you call them. See, you call them. Hi, this is Dr. So-and-so or this is Mrs. So-and-so or hi, this is Michael Benner. I'm a hypnotist in uh, uh, Studio City a hypnotherapist, and uh, a friend of yours, Joe Blow, gave me your name, said that you might want to benefit from, uh, that that, uh, you had talked about these problems and you might benefit from uh, coming by. And then offer them a free session. Could be a free telephone intake session that you do right there over the phone. Hey, if you got 15 minutes, I'll give you a free intake session right now. Tell me how you think I might be able to help you. Remember, we talked about that last week, too. Always frame it positive in your initial intake session. If it's free or paid, if it's in person or by the telephone, doesn't really matter. Instead of saying, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? God, please do not ever do that. Say, what's your solution? How can I help you? Or what kind of result are you looking for? Or how do you think I might be able to help you? Always frame it in a positive way. So ask for referrals and explain truthfully that this is where you get your best clients and your best customers. Some could call this networking, I suppose. This includes people who are really close to you. Your family members, ask your mother, ask your father, do you know people who would benefit from what I do? Ask your kids, ask your uncles and and, and aunts and nephews and nieces, ask your neighbors, ask your friends. I'm nothing shameful about that. Yeah, I just love what I'm doing and and it really works, and I get great joy out of being able to help people that are often too frightened to ask for help because they don't know that everybody suffers in this way or that, you see. So 
when you're asking for referrals, don't limit it only to your happy customers, your satisfied clients, but your friends and your family and your neighbors. Okay. I talked about the free intro. I think that's a very good idea. Some people even print up coupons. It's a great idea. I also personally believe in a money-back guarantee, but you have to be specific about that. Somebody can't come to see you once a week for a year and then say, I want all my money back. That's ridiculous. But if at the end of a given session, uh, depending on, again, the nature of your practice, um, this could be more or less relevant. But I always told my clients at the end of the very first session, I didn't repeat it over and over, but at the end of the first intake and orientation session, I would explain all my policies. And one is, if at the end of any given session, you're not happy with the value of what I've provided you in counseling, in training, uh, you don't have to pay me a thing, and then we're done. We're not going to try it again after that. It means you're not happy, you don't pay for this session, and there will be no further sessions. And thank you very much. I've enjoyed working with you. In my 35 years of practice in Los Angeles, nobody ever did that because they always benefited. And I'm sure you know that your customers are going to benefit too. The customers you have now and have already treated or worked with are benefiting. You wouldn't be doing this if you didn't know in your heart of hearts that people were benefiting from it, okay? So why not offer a money-back guarantee? And part of that initial intake and orientation session, whether it's paid or you give it away for free, also also really has to include your policy in a number of other areas. Like what do they do if they arrive early and you're in session? You probably don't have a receptionist up front who can greet them and tell them to take a seat and read a magazine. And Doctors can do that. They make, you know, a lot of money. It's not likely you'll be able to do that. So if you arrive early, my door is closed, know that I'm in session, please quietly take a seat, and I'll be with you at the prescribed time. Be prompt. Explain to them also what is your policy if they're late. What is your policy if you are late, right? How long do you expect them to wait for you? How long are you willing to wait for them? If they come late or blow you off entirely, what is your policy? What is your cancellation policy? If somebody calls you up and cancels, do you charge them anyway? How much lead time do you need? Don't wait for this to happen to invent a policy or explain a standing policy. Tell them up front. Put it down on paper. Have them sign off on it and hand a copy back to you with their signature on it, and they can keep a copy so that everybody is well informed. Okay? I think it's very important to take notes and keep files. Now, less important maybe in some practices, like 
a yoga class, depending on what you're doing, or if you're teaching meditation, there may not be much need for note-taking or keeping files. Or if you're teaching a class and everybody's learning the same material, but uh, generally it's a pretty good idea. A psychotherapist, for example, or a psychiatrist, medical doctors, they have to take very complete notes. They have to keep very detailed files, including particular codes for a physical, mental, or emotional disorder. Write those numbers down and those codes, and they're all regulated. Most of us in the personal development field are not regulated um, the way doctors and psychotherapists are regulated. Um, that's another issue for another time. Whether we should or shouldn't be uh, varies widely. But it's a good idea for your own protection, but also just to benefit your client, uh, for you to have some notes, even if only cursory, uh, the dates and times of your meetings, and uh, keep those well organized in a file cabinet, right, or on your computer somehow. I think it's also important to explain, again, this varies a little bit depending upon the nature of your practice, to tell your client that when they finish the work that you're talking about doing together, there will need to be some maintenance sessions afterwards, right, that you would like to see them two or three times a year after you finish the work. It's no different than a dentist, you know, saying, well, there you go, there's your nice new bridge or your new crown. Uh, we filled the cavities and cleaned your teeth and you're good to go for six months. And here's a card, come back in six months for maintenance, right? Go to a medical doctor, well, you're all good, ready to go, that healed up nicely, We'll see you in six months, right? should do the same thing. Even if you're a teacher or doing a class, there should always be an opportunity for another class further on down the calendar page. So let your client know that they're investing in themselves. They're not just paying you for a service or a product. They're investing in themselves. And look at all the stuff we learned in school that we forgot later in life because we never used it. So I think of athletes who never get so good that they stop practicing. The best athletes in the world continue to practice, right? And so your customer, your client, your student, your patient, uh, should in the same way be encouraged to practice. This is your life we're developing. This is yourself we're improving. So even after we're done with this intensive, I'd like to see you two or three times a year after that, okay? And they go yes and not. Do you understand? And they go yes and not. You don't have to say, do you agree? You say, do you understand? They go, yes, and nod. That's pretty darn close to the affirmation you're looking for. When a client leaves your office, make sure you book the next session before they walk out the door. Sometimes 
especially in the mental and emotional health areas um, where you're working on difficult issues, uh, clients can get scared. They, um, they get wet feet. Um, they start thinking about the secondary benefits they get from their problem, from their dysfunction, and they're not sure they want to give that up. You know, I've had a number of people say to me, I want to be better at managing my stress, but not so good that I lose my disability. So make me healthy just short of the point where I lose my disability. And, you know, I refuse to work with those people. That's just stunning to me that somebody would turn a disability or a dysfunction into a paying career. Uh, if you can live on $800 a month, uh, fine, but it's it's cheating, and uh, I will not uh, participate in that. And uh, you work that the way you want, but, um, you know, responsibility for your situation and your circumstance is a very important part of all human potential and uh, personal development work so if they hedge and say well i i don't have my schedule with me i i'm really not sure right now let me call you back hey no those are the people that you're not going to hear from again and not only because it's in your best interest to confirm the next meeting but it's in their best interest if you confirm the next session before they leave and if they whine and give you some excuse about, oh, I didn't bring my calendar, I'm not sure, say, well, let's just do it a week from today or two weeks from today, whatever is your the period you're working with. And if that's a problem, you call me back. And then hand them one of your cards with their appointment written on it. Okay? Otherwise, you're going to lose a lot of business and they have a right to quit at any time. I'm not saying bar the door, <laughs> right, or insist on anything. But if you know they're benefiting and you know it's in their interest for them to continue, I think you have a responsibility to be the adult in that relationship, right, and to guide them and encourage them to come back. So don't let them leave without booking your next session, all right? Um, I think it's also a good idea to call people in advance or if you have the budget to hire somebody. That's even raises your credibility if you have somebody, even if you don't have a receptionist, somebody that you can hire to call down your clients and say, just want to remind you, you have a session with Michael Benner tomorrow afternoon at 1.30 in Studio City. And he's looking forward to seeing you at 1.30, okay? And they say, yeah, okay. Right? Um, you get a lot more business if you just call and confirm a day in advance. If the client does finish and stop calling you, again, Use business greeting cards. Postcards are nice. I like greeting cards and nice linen envelopes. 
They can be recycled cards, stock, and recycled envelopes and still be really nice and professional-looking. Yeah, I know, your doctor probably sends you a postcard that's a little cheaper. Um, again, I use send-out cards. I can send a greeting card for 62 pennies and a stamp. A beautiful linen greeting card. You can even put pictures in it for less than a buck, so... I don't, I mean, you could do send out cards or some, well, there really is no similar service. You just have to pay more. So, again, if you want to know about that, email me, mb at michaelbenner.com, mb at michaelbenner.com, and say, tell me about that greeting card thing you're talking about. I've done it for five years, and the return on investment is outrageous. It's totally through the roof. All right, I think a few more tips uh, should uh, pretty much do it. I want to talk a little about licensing and um, registration with the state and your local community. Um, And then we'll go to your questions. Again, if you're listening via web, you can use the fields on the web page in front of you to enter questions or comments. And be sure and hit the submit button after you enter your name and city. If you're on the telephone or would like to go to the telephone, you'll see the phone numbers on the player well, right above the, the built-in player on your web page. And uh, if that's a long-distance call for you, there's a primary number and a backup number. Hit the link that says Other Numbers and find an area code that's a local call for you. There's dozens of them on there. Just be sure you enter the conference ID when prompted and that will plug you directly uh, by telephone directly into this feed. The web feed is delayed about 15 seconds. The phone feed, just like radio, the phone feed is live. The web feed is delayed a little bit. And if you're on the phone or use the phone and want me to unmute you one at a time, just press, once you're hooked up and confirmed, press star 2 on the telephone touchpad. And that will raise your hand, and I'll bring you on live. Um, Hang your wallpaper. And by wallpaper, I mean your diplomas and your awards and your accolades and other certificates. Okay, People like to see that. It's uh, uh, symbolic of the hard work that you put into becoming certified uh, in your field whether it's a college degree or a trade school degree or um, a certification, whatever, hang it, put it up there, just like in the doctor's office. They hang their medical degrees. And I also hung my wallpaper from being involved in the community. So if I got an accolade or an award or some sort of recognition from the city or from the county board of supervisors or the American Red Cross or somebody like that, bang, buy a nice frame <laughs> and hang it on the wall. Let people see you're a pro, right? And you got the wallpaper to prove it. Business licenses is rather complex. It varies from state to state, from county to county, and from city to city. One of the reasons that I liked 
having my practice in Glendale rather than Los Angeles City proper, even though they were both in the county of Los Angeles, was the city of Los Angeles had a business tax. The city of Glendale, still in L.A. County, had no business tax. Good reason to locate your office in Glendale, eh? So, depending on where your business is located, check with the city. Uh, I'll tell you a little trick to be aware of. Often, when you're renting uh, office buildings, you'll get an annual visit from the fire department. And these big, hulky fire guys will show up at your door and knock on your door and tell you they're doing a fire inspection, right? Or it could be, you know, somebody else that works for the city that's there on some pretense. What they're really looking for is whether you're licensed and whether you have that license on the wall. So they're checking up on you. They probably really are doing a fire inspection, but they're also checking up because the city, that's that's a revenue stream. So get that license. Otherwise, there could be fines associated. Or find out, uh, get confirmation that your particular city does not have a business license, which is essentially a permit to do business, which is really nothing more than a way for them to make money. Right? Ostensibly, it's a form of regulation to protect the consumer, but let's not be naive. It's an income stream. It's a revenue enhancement. They want your money. So you better check with the city in which you live about whether you need a business license. On the other hand, I do not know of any county or state that requires a business license, but there may be such a thing. So check around, call around, find out, ask other practitioners. You will, in many cases, need a resale permit or license from the state if you're selling a product that requires sales tax be gathered, in which case your license in California is called the State Board of Equalization. They grant you a permit to collect sales tax on their behalf. And once a month, or maybe quarterly, or maybe once a year, you write a check to Sacramento to the State Board of Equalization for the sales tax that you collected on the products that you sold. That means you have to find out if what you're selling, products and services, is taxable. Right? Some stuff is, some stuff isn't. You buy groceries, and this varies from state to state. In California, where I practiced before coming to Hawaii, um, food that needs preparation is never taxed, as of 25 years ago or so. Food that you can eat that's ready to go, they do tax. Right? And uh, most everything else that you buy in uh, a retail establishment is taxable. a bottle of water, they add tax. But if you buy a newspaper, there's no tax on the newspaper. Okay. So you sort of have to find out. 
there's no tax on my services, but I do sell these CDs. Uh-oh. Got to collect tax on the CD for the state and pay the state. And, again, check it out because you don't want to incur the fines when you get caught further on down the road. All right. As far as DBAs, a DBA is an acronym for doing business as. This is not a law, but this is an opportunity that is created by your banker, essentially, that allows your customers to write checks to you on behalf of your business name rather than your personal name. So as long as all my clients would write checks payable to Michael Benner, I never needed a DBA. If I wanted them to write a check to Personal Development Strategies, the name of my business, I'd have to go to the bank, get a form. This is not onerous. It's not hard. But go to your local bank where you have an account, get a form that you fill out that says your real name, your legal address, and so on and so forth, probably your Social Security number, and your DBA, the name by which you want to do business, uh, they'll do a search to see if there's anybody else, usually in the county, it's not nationwide, it's not statewide, usually in the county, is there anybody else doing business with that same name? If not, they grant you the DBA, you have to publish a notice in the local newspaper this doesn't mean you have to do it in a big city newspaper. A lot of people will publish in a small throwaway paper like uh, the Penny Saver or some community newspaper where they add rates are a lot cheaper. You might have to do that three or four days in a row to meet the requirements of the bank, and then you're granted your DBA permit. But that is not a license to do business. That's merely a convenience with the bank, and that's how you get a business name. A couple other items real quickly. I think newsletters are very important, whether you snail mail a hard copy newsletter or email a newsletter, as I do to you guys every week. I think it's very important to stay in touch that way. Um, keep tickler files so that your database includes not only the name of the customer or client, but has the wife's name or the husband's name, has the names of their kids in that tickler file, maybe the name of the dog or their cat, or the fact that uh, Joe loves to golf and uh, Betty is in the garden society and grows roses, so that you have this information at your fingertips. And if somebody calls, you can say, by the way, how's your golf game going? Or, uh, hey, is Billy out of college yet? Isn't he going to be graduating soon? And they're blown away. They think, oh, my God, this, this person that I go to on a professional basis knows me so well and cares about me and likes me so much that they – they even know the dog's name and that I'm a golfer and that my kid's about to graduate from college, right? And then again, you know me, I would send a card <laughs> to develop those relationships. 
most businessmen and women make the mistake of going for the money and hoping the personal relationship is added on afterwards. If instead you develop the personal relationship, the business and the money will follow. Treat people with dignity and respect. Value them. Honor them. Your customer is driving your business. No customer, no business. A friend of mine tells a story about a network marketing program that he does, and somebody said to him once, Oh, wait a minute. Is this one of those businesses where you need a lot of customers? And everybody cracks up when he tells the story. What business, forgive me, what business is there where you don't need a lot of customers? The customer is always right. The customer is everything. The customer is who should be running the show. The customer is who should be making the most important management decisions in your business. The customer is king. Care about them as genuine individuals with, you know, a consciousness, with a heart, with with love in their lives and problems in their lives and care about them as human beings. And the money and the business, I promise you, will follow. Okay. So there you go. That's it. Two parts on the business side of uh, personal development. Now, let's go to the questions. If you're on the telephone, just hit star 2. If you have a comment or a question, I'll bring you online one at a time. If you're on the web and would you're one of the bashful ones and <laughs> you just want to send a text message, you can do that too. And let me start with those. We'll go to the web because a lot of folks just want to say hi. Carol Postel in La Habra. Hello, Carol. She's always there, almost always, and usually the first one to say hello. Thank you, Carol. In Pittsburgh, my friend John Bowles is with us today. Hello, John. He says, Michael, I loved the class last week. Looking forward to part two. So he was posting right at the beginning of today's uh, webinar. Also, we're hearing from Robert in Irvine, California. He says, Aloha, Michael. If you look back through the history of America, the corporate money interests have always manipulated the masses through fear and lies. And we actually evolved from child labor and slavery, though slowly. Robert goes on, we're growing toward a higher conscience of awareness or higher consciousness and Anytime a dinosaur is about to become extinct, it takes its last breath and makes the loudest noise. And that's what we're experiencing as uh, these dinosaurs die off. If you step back, you can see it is getting better. The winds of change are stronger, and the new age has already begun. Thanks, Michael. Keep up the good work. And, Robert, thank you. In uh, Tucson, Lorelei Hatch, Aloha, Michael. What is... Uh, What's the best way to create financial backing when you're starting your own business? Thanks for the awesome class. Peace and love to you and Doreen. The best way to create financial backing. Laurel, I, I'm not sure I can answer that. Um, there's so many different ways and so many problems and pitfalls 
I think partnership would be the first idea that comes to my mind. Finding somebody else with the same dream and pooling your resources, financial and otherwise, and maybe even deciding, uh, okay, you take the office on these days and I'll take the office on those days, or, okay, you specialize in this part of the field we share and I'll specialize in this other part of the field that we share an interest in. Um, pulling your skills and your talent as well as your money. Um, there are all kinds of financial opportunities out there. I've not talked about the Small Business Administration, the SBA. I haven't talked about SCORE, the uh, retired executives that volunteer to help business women and men. Um, other groups like Women in Business, and I mentioned the Chamber, um, you know, ask around. I think probably the last thing you want to do, especially these days, is go to the bank because they're going to want a very formal business proposal, and you're going, that's going to put you in a position, a business plan puts you in the position of having to guesstimate how many people you're going to attract and how you're going to attract them. And it's not just a loan. It's like a partnership, and they own your business. I know people who own homes say, I own my house. Well, but you're paying on it for 30 years, and you're going to pay three times what it's worth, and you could pay for 28 years and go into foreclosure and not get a penny out of it. So rent by any other name. You know, um, just my feeling. That's a difficult question for me to answer in a general way. But thanks for it. Good luck with that. Email me if you have something more specific. Thanks, Lorelai. Patricia Vega's with us in L.A. Aloha, Michael. Your show today has been very helpful for me and probably others, too. Thanks for doing these shows. Keep on keeping on. And thank you, Patricia. Um, in Honolulu, Bert says, Aloha, Michael. Is your practice and others like yours covered by any health insurance? If not, will there ever come a time when it will be? Are practices like yours covered in other countries, like Great Britain or Canada, for example, who have different health care plans in the United States? Keep up the good work, Michael, and extend my best wishes to Doreen. Aloha, Bert. Thank you, Bert. Um, no, uh, in America, as you know, uh, there is no uh, single-payer um, public health plan. Uh, it's questionable whether we're going to even have a public option for those people who do not have insurance. The tradition in America, the default position has been get a good job and your employer will pay for your health care. There are few people in personal and spiritual development fields that make the kind of money that would allow them to pay for health insurance for their employees. Self-employed health insurance where you can cover yourself is often available in groups of other self-employed people. So some insurance company, uh, United Health in California is who I dealt with, uh, Kaiser, Signal, WellPoint, 
they may have programs where groups of self-employed people can get a better rate as a group, kind of a union of self-employed people, if you will, and get a better rate by covering yourself is probably going to run, you know, $12,000 a year, about $1,000 a year at least for minimum coverage, and you probably have a deductible on top of that. All of this is piracy. Then if you hire people and pay salaries to cover their health insurance, it's crazy. Now, most civilized countries, every industrial country except America, has a government program that covers everybody, pretty much regardless of whatever career you're in. So that, too, is a tough question, a good one, but tough for me to answer. There are a lot of benefits of having no employees. If you can run your business with no employees, but just make everybody an independent contractor or, you know, 1099, uh, you're working on your own, even if I pay you, you're going to have to pay the taxes and so on. There's a lot of benefit to that. Check with your tax person, whoever's doing your taxes. And if you are in business for yourself, you should not be doing short form. You should be you should be paying somebody who's very skilled and talented to do your taxes for you. Boy, time is just escaping me. I'm going to uh, extend the class here a bit. Otherwise, we're going to get cut off midstream. There we go. And uh, in Apple Valley, Don says, Hola, Michael. A little off topic, but I'm wondering if you're familiar with Tom Kenyon and his channeling, The Hathors. I really enjoy your past two classes, practices that can be applied to all all aspects of living in our high-tech world. Thank you, Don. No, I don't know Tom Kenyon. And I'm always suspicious of channeling. I think most people who do channel are well-intentioned and fail to realize that they're channeling themselves, their higher self, perhaps. But they um, often will attribute it because of the glamour that the ego offers you to some out-of-body, extraterrestrial, multi-dimensional. I mean, this goes for Jane Roberts and the Seth books, or uh, uh, one of the popular books now um, that are being channeled, the Abraham series by Elizabeth Hicks. She's channeling, um, my God, Blavatsky was a channel, Alice Bailey was a channel. And these are incredibly significant writings that come out of these transmedium um, uh, seances, if you will. Uh, So I think there is something to it, but I just think it's the ego that offers this glamour that who you're channeling is somebody other than your own higher self. Uh, A core understanding in mysticism all around the world is that contrary to what the church says, your higher self, your oversoul, your eternal spiritual essence lives now in what is sometimes called heaven. And you are an extension. Your soul is not inside you so much as it's above you. 
And when you channel wisdom, just like when you get a great idea that pops into your head, you're channeling yourself. The idea that we can channel other people is yet to uh, be proven to me. And I've meditated and taught meditation for 40 years. So, uh, again, I don't discount Seth because Jane Roberts said this Seth is a multidimensional personality and it ain't me. I give credence to what I'm reading. It speaks for itself. Same with Blavatsky or Alice Bailey. Powerful writings. I don't discount it just because they say it came from some multidimensional, out-of-body, never-incarnated ancient master. I read the material and decide its validity for myself. But just between you and me (laughs) and whoever else is tuning in here, I think it's glamour. It's like uh, distortion on the emotional plane. It's a very romantic idea. And believe me, I thought of this years ago. Gee, Michael, you could be a guru. You could wear robes. You could be a trance medium and say that you're channeling Guru Baba Rama Lama Ding Dong from the galaxy Arthuriate. Now, again, somebody that believes that, I'm not really mocking it. I'm just saying let the information speak for itself. And if it turns out that they're right, well, far out. But (laughs) I believe in Occam's razor. Occam's razor is a mathematical, scientific, and philosophical principle that says until the simplest and most obvious explanation fails, stay with it. Don't add variables and don't make it complex and glamorous unnecessarily. If something can be explained simply, start there until some aspect of the phenomena can no longer be explained that way. So I know that I've had experiences of the top of my head opening up figuratively and uh, this aha experience where I suddenly realized something I never had realized before. Oh, my God, where did that come from? And I could invent some story about, well, I channeled this ancient master, and wow, doesn't that mean I'm cool, right? I get to have it both ways. I can be humble and say, it's not me. It's the ascended masters on a higher plane. I defer to them. But at the same time, you're implying, well, they chose you because you're just sort of cool, right? Um, I'm very, very suspicious of the whole idea of transmediumship, but I'm not heavily invested in it one way or the other. If somebody has a way of proving it, I'll be the first to say mea culpa. But as long as I can explain, how shall I say it, advanced wisdom as being available to everyone from their own higher self, then according to Occam's razor, there's no need to go any farther with it. Doesn't mean I'm not interested in what Esther Hicks has to say. Doesn't mean I don't read Bailey and just, you know, love it. 
or Blavatsky or Jane Roberts. I mean, my God, the Seth books 30 years ago blew my mind. I think they're really, really profound. So pick and choose your transmedium, but keep one foot on the ground, okay? I know you do, Don. I'm just saying generally, keep one foot on the ground. Well, I'm looking at our callers, and uh, this is so cool. I, I have this board full of callers, but um, everybody's muted out. I see no hands raised. So star two if you want to raise your hand and ask your question. I can unmute you one at a time for just a minute. But let's do a guided imagery exercise and wrap this class up, okay? And I'll let you go back to your Sunday. So as long as this is a good time for you, whether you're listening to us live now or by replay, get comfortable, sit back. I want you to sit straight up but not rigid. I want you to get a sense of yourself being balanced with your head above your shoulders and your shoulders back, your chest open. As you take slow, deep breaths, first one and then another, inhaling through your nose and filling your lungs slowly, hold as you peak, and then exhale just as slowly, going beyond where you'd normally stop all the way out, and then take another slow, deep breath. Do this three or four times before you just allow your breathing to fall to autopilot, to find its natural rhythm or cadence. And put your attention for a few moments on the bottom of your nose. At the very point where breath enters and leaves the body, And bring yourself mindfully into the present moment, right here, right now. Balanced on the pinpoint of eternity. The here and now. As you breathe in, pause. Breathe out. And pause. And just as you would watch waves at the shoreline of the ocean, watch the in-breath, the pause, the out-breath, and the pause. For all things in this world are cyclic by their very nature. All things are created and preserved and dissolved only to be recreated and preserved for a time and dissolved and around and around it goes or like the pendulum free from fiction or (laughs) free from friction if the pendulum were in a vacuum It would swing forever and never diminish the ebb and the flow of your breathing as a point of focus 
to escape the illusion that time marches forward and that there is something called a past or a future and to bring yourself instead into the reality that is the only thing that exists this moment. Simply watch your breath. And because we've spent today and last week as well talking about creating a business out of your particular interest in human potential and personal development, I'd like you to simply imagine now feeling so safe and relaxed Maintaining the sense of peace and timelessness. Imagine yourself doing that perfect business. See yourself going to an office that is set up exactly the way you would like it to be set up. See yourself in your mind's eye and hear with your imaginary hearing and feel in your body what it'll be like to accept clients, patients, customers. Imagine teaching them or facilitating your particular practice or therapy and see them benefiting, experience them, reporting back to you all the, the benefits and the positive results that are beginning to accrue as a result of them working with you. As long as your eyes are closed and you're in this place of deep relaxation, feeling so safe, give no thought as to what it would take to get here. Instead, simply experience what it's like to already be successful. As if right now you already have everything that you want in this regard. You can even see yourself going to the bank and putting money in and how it feels to drive home on a Friday night knowing that the rent will be paid and there will be food in the refrigerator. And that all of that money, all of that revenue is generated by you genuinely and sincerely providing significant help and guidance, healing and comfort to the people who come to you for your services and, and your products. Always putting people first, you allow the business and the money to follow. And when you worry about money or worry about not having enough clients or customers, catch yourself and tell yourself, uh-oh, I'm doing it backwards. Give away your services. Care about people. Give them a better deal. And genuinely care about everybody that you come in contact with, and your business will grow and the income will follow as long as you put people first. Feel the truth in that. Feel it in your body. Feel it in your heart. And see
see that definition of success and prosperity in your mind's eye. As you say to yourself a simple affirmation that begins with I am, prospering myself by first prospering others, serving myself by first being of value and service to others. Or if it's too soon for I am, then add the participle getting or growing or becoming. I am getting better and better in business. My business is growing bigger and better every day. I'm of greater service and more value to my clients every day in every way. Better and better and better. And feel the truth in that. And bring that sense with you effortlessly as you inhale again, slowly filling your lungs. Hold for just a moment, and as you exhale, ah, now open your eyes wide awake and alert, back in the room, feeling all rested, refreshed, and uh, ready to go about the rest of your day today. Hey, Will you use the Send One to a Friend gadget on our website to forward these programs to people that you know? This is all free. This stuff's all free. And if you go to theagelesswisdom.com, you can click on free newsletter to make sure you're signed up. If you're getting it already, fine. But if you're not, click on that button and sign up for the free newsletter. There's always buttons at the bottom of every newsletter that will allow you to manage that account change your name, your address. I don't have to have an address from you. Um, to unsubscribe, it's all so easy peasy. And then click on the home page, go inside, and web teleconference. You'll find the whole archive. All of those programs can easily be sent with a built-in gadget to people that you know as often as you want. Aloha from Maui, and as always, be gentle, love life, and Take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Aloha.